All right, we're going to begin session two, and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. Last, uh, last session that we had, I went over how to study the Bible topically. I hope that over the last month you have availed yourself of the tools that we provided and how, and, and you've actually spent time researching a word in the scriptures. But I want to be the first to tell you this. You are never, never, never going to get out of the Bible what you need to get if all you ever do is do a topical word search. It has to be more than that. You have to really dig deep. And, and you know, there, there's, there's, there was a time, if you've been listening to the sessions from men who rocked the world, and, and, and again, while we wouldn't agree with all the reformers or the Puritans or everything that they did, one thing that, that nobody can take away from them is they were disciplined. And there was a time when to be able to even stand in the pulpit or even to be able to consider somebody who is a teacher, I mean, you would spend eight to ten years in college. You would become an earned doctor. You would spend time doing all of the things, learning Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Aramaic. And, and some people even looked at Ugaritic, which was the cuneiform uh, uh, form of writing that was used in some of the Old Testament. You would learn those things. And the way that you did that was you picked up an old book, what to us would be an old book, and you studied page by page by page, and you listened to lectures in person. And now we've got every possible available tool available to us, and we're not using it. Whether it's Blue Letter Bible, Version, ESV, the King James, the NASB 95, there are, there are a number of not just commentaries, but at a, click of a, at a click of a mouse, you can actually go on and, I mean, for goodness sake, you can even go to chat GPT now and it'll even tell you what the passage says. So we really have no excuses whatsoever as to why we don't study the scriptures and find out what it is that God wants to say to us. The Bible took some 1,400 years to be able to write with over 40 different authors. It's the best-selling book of all time. It was one of the first books to ever be printed on the Gutenberg Press in the early 1500s. And, and, and yet, we treat it so lightly. There, there, are people, there are people in North Korea, there are people in Muslim nations, there, there are people in China. Right, right now, I think in China, there's like one Bible for every 1,000 Christians in China. Some of us own four or five or six or ten. And they all gather dust for the most part. So in this session, I want us to see and build on not just being a better listener, but, but 
I want to help, and, and, and we're not going to get through all of this in, in one Saturday, but my intention is to break this down into a couple of Saturdays because I'm going to show you how to break down a passage. I'm going to show you what I do when I'm preparing for a passage and how God uses that to speak to our hearts and, and, and what you can do as well. Now, that's not going to make you a preacher of the Word. It's not going to make you a teacher or anything like that. But I guarantee that if you learn how to study the Word, nobody's ever going to buffalo you in the future. Because you'll be able to see for yourself what God's Word has to say. You'll be able to plumb the depths. You see, it's, it's, it's one thing to dabble on the edges it's, how many of you have ever seen or, heard, or, or seen a YouTube or whatever, maybe even been to that place, I think it's in Dubai, or it's, it's the deepest indoor water pool. I think it goes down like 300 feet or something if you're a really experienced diver. diver and you can actually, I mean, with, with scuba gear, and you can actually dive all the way to the bottom of this thing. I mean, it is just dark. Yeah, not me either. Yeah. If water's more than hip deep, I don't want to get in the bathtub. I know there's a shirt in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And it's the deepest freshwater pool in the world. Okay? Now, if all you do is you stay in the paddling pool end, you're never going to know all the treasures that are found in that deep pool. Which is fine by some people. But if you and I claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if all you're doing is dabbling in the Jesus loves me, this I know, we want to hear a little Sunday school Bible story again. If that's all you know about the scriptures, you're just in the paddling pool end. There is so much more there. That, that's, that's one of the reasons why we've gone with the curriculum that we have for, for, for that class, for the answers in Genesis is because it is getting deeper. It is teaching those children that there's more to Sunday school than just coming and painting a, 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 a misproportionate picture of Noah's Ark one more time. It's not what it's about. Do you know the reason why you and I struggle sometimes in our adult life? It may very well go back to the fact that some of us didn't either listen or were maybe taught the wrong things or that we were not prepared for adulthood maybe the way that we could have been. Because if Second Peter 1.3 is correct and everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the scriptures, then we should be learning as Timothy did from his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, we should be learning the scriptures from a babe. And we should be teaching it to the babes so that when they grow up, they don't have the heartache and the headaches that we have faced in life. The reason why you struggle, the reason why marriages struggle, the reason why relationships with kids struggle and between kids and parents and work and colleagues and, and, and school and everything else that we do, it's because we're not deep enough in the Word. That's the real reason. You can blame it on everybody else. You can blame it on your circumstances, your upbringing. You can blame it on whatever you want to. But the only one that you really need to focus on is what kind of a relationship do you have with God? 
Because his command is simple. Be holy for I am holy. And if you're not fulfilling that, you've broken the rest of the commands. And so have I. So I want us to look at what it means to grow in the word. And we're actually going to do that over time by breaking down Psalm 1. But I want us to read a couple of verses before we get there. Hebrews chapter 4 verse verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You remember what we said about heart issues? That's what the Bible does. It gets to the parts that the pastor can't see, or your husband, or your wife, or your kids can't see. It gets to the part that only God knows about you. You see, we can all paint a picture on the outside. I've shared with you part of my testimony. When I was at Bible school, man, everything was cool. I kept every rule. I didn't get a single demerit. I was part of this club, of that society, of the mission society. I was a prayer room leader. I was a dorm leader. I did all of those things. But you know one thing that they couldn't see was my heart. Because it was my heart that was betraying me. Because I had believed that in my heart, that my heart was good. I failed to take and apply Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things and who can know it? And it wasn't until God got a hold of the part of me that needed to be changed and that was the heart that things changed for me. So for us to grow, we need to grow in the word by recognizing that the word of God is quick and powerful. You know one of the reasons why people don't like reading the Bible? Because it demands change. You know, I I know the standard joke about men. You know, we, we open up something and it says, some assembly required. Boy, is that an oxymoron. You know, you get a kid's toy for Christmas, some assembly required. 14 hours later, you're still working on trying to put that little thing together. And you know, the problem is, and I know what the saying is, us men don't like instructions. I mean, instructions, what are they for? So, I mean, seriously, you just wing it, right? Well, you can't wing it in the Christian life because you're going to fail. I know because I've been there. I know what it's like. And if I would have read the simple instructions from God's word, it would have changed everything. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't rightly divide something that you don't know. Somebody said, exert oneself and give diligence to present yourself pleasing and acceptable to God. This is a paraphrase of this verse. A worker who has no cause to be ashamed, rightly handling and teaching the truth of God directly and correctly. This is why I believe exposition of the scriptures is so valuable. Because we must divide the word of God. And in so doing, the word of God will divide down to where it needs to get to. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, is playing the guitar supposed to be a good work? Yeah, supposed to be, right? I mean, if, if, if everything we're supposed to do, whether we eat or drink, or whatsoever we do is to be done to the glory of God, then that's a good work that should be done for God, right? What about being a treasurer? Or taking up the offering? Or teaching a Sunday school class? Or being an usher at the door? Or taking care of the sound system? Again, 1 Corinthians 10.31. If we are striving to glorify God in everything that we do, that means that it is a good work. How can we know what a good work is if we don't look at the scriptures to know what a good work is? But if we study these things, if we're studying it for the doctrine, for the reproof, for the correction, the things that we don't like, the discipline, we will be equipped for every good work. Studying the scriptures should be a delight. Now, I've already said, I said it in the last hour, there are times that it is not. There are times that it is difficult. There are times that it is painful. There are times that it is like, Lord, it sure would be better if that verse wasn't in there because then I could do what I wanted. We've all been there. But you see, the reason that those verses are all in there is because it helps us to be different than the world. It helps us to be different than what we used to be. Listen to Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. And again, this is a passage that that if you highlight in your Bible, I would highly recommend. Oh, that's another cool feature about that U version. You can actually highlight verses. You can write notes, and and you can do bookmarks, and and all kinds of things. You can get badges for reading, and for highlighting, and making notes, and commenting. Oh yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Listen to Psalm 19, verse 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. We could stay right here for a month. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, and all of these are references. These are all names for the law of God. It is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Do we love God's word more than we love gold? Listen, I follow it as well, just like some of you guys do. It doesn't matter if Bitcoin goes up to $735,000 a piece. Yes. That would be great. Because my $2 would then be worth $4. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How much more precious should God's word be? And the way that it grows in value is based on what you do with it when you are reading you see, you can either read the Bible just to be able to say, oh, yep, Mark's going to be checking to see whether as a friend on version, whether I did my Bible reading to get today, or you can be reading your Bible to say, Lord, what can I learn today? What are you going to teach me in your word? Not only is it 
more to be desired than gold, but sweeter than honey. Now, there's a big difference between my son and I, Trenton. Oh, not no names, just one of my sons. He doesn't like bee vomit. Like what? Bee vomit. That's what he calls it, honey. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he likes meat with a side of meat and a dessert of meat. Yeah, because our eyes are in the front of our head. Exactly. <laughs> but he doesn't like honey. I like cooking with But I love honey. Honey is sweet. And if you've ever had the privilege of being able to take a piece of a honeycomb directly from the hive and actually pop that in your mouth, it's just phenomenal. It's like getting fresh fruit right off the tree instead of having it being shipped green to Walmart where it sits in a train for three weeks. There's completely different. There's no comparison. And it's no different than you and I when we're studying God's Word. When, when we're in God's Word and, and if I open up the Bible and I say, okay, turn with me in your Bibles too. I want you to pick up the Bible and I want you to turn there. Because I want you to see it. I want you to get it fresh from the tree. And that's what, as ministers of the Word of God, that, that's why we do the things we do. That, that's why when, when Dad is teaching on a Sunday morning in the book of James, and, and, and he's taking the time and he's putting together a lesson sheet for us to be able to take notes on and, 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 and fill in the blank or whatever it may be, it's so that you can take that away and say, oh yeah, that's right, that's, I remember what he said. Studying should be done in such a way as to keep from dividing the Word of God in a wrong manner. Now, we, we are often, we have been guilty in the past, if we're not careful, and I mentioned this last time, of taking verses and taking them out of context. You can take just about any verse out of context. For example, some of you may have been in churches and, 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 and I've been in churches that did this and, and come July the 4th time and they have a great big hoorah-rah and, and everybody waves the flag and if you're not on the right side of the political aisle, well, I mean, you got to sit on this side and, and the other guy's got to sit on this side, but then you all sing America the Beautiful all together. And then the preacher gets up and he talks about Second Chronicles 7.14, which has nothing to do with America has nothing to do with us. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And we like the first part, but we don't like the last part. And the principles are still there, but that verse is not written for America. So we can divide the word wrongly, or we can open up and we can say, Lord, bless me with a crumb today. And might end up finding ourselves like the little story that we have shared, and I heard it down through the years as well. The preacher who gets up and he hasn't been bothering to take time to study, and he says, Lord, what shall I preach today? And he closes his Bible, lets it fall open, and he points his finger down and it says, and he went and hung himself. Can't think of anything to say about that, so he tries again. And so he lets his Bible fall open and he puts his finger down and he looks and it says, Go and do thou likewise. <laughs> Nope, try one more time. Let the Bible fall open and puts his finger in and it says, and what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, too often though, we are really taking God's word that flippantly. 
if we're not careful. Because again, everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the scriptures. It will help you. It will guide you. Listen, you struggle being a godly man? Go to the scriptures. Struggle being a godly woman? Go to the scriptures. You struggle in your life with your parents or in work or college or whatever it may be? Go to the scriptures. The scriptures will tell you how to live your life in a way that is pleasing to Him. Charles Spurgeon said that we can never possibly plumb the depths of scripture and we will always learn more deeply the more we study a passage. I have tried to have in my own life and in my own study, whenever I come to sharing the Word of God, I have tried to maintain a principle through my entire years of ministry, and that is that I don't use my same material when I preach on a Sunday. So, for example, if I were to preach through the book of Ephesians, which I have done twice already in the past in previous ministries, I don't start with my old material. I go back to the Word and I break it down again because I'm going to see it probably a little bit differently or I'm going to see it maybe in more depth and because I need to prepare my heart for that. And you can study something over and over and over and over. I mean, there are entire commentaries, there are entire books that are that are written. Take Psalm 23, for example. There are pages, thousands of pages that have just been written on Psalm 23. And it's only six verses. Think about how much we could gain from Psalm 23. There are entire commentaries that are found written on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7. How much would we gain from it? You see, because what you read today and what you read tomorrow, the Lord, it, you may be going through something different in your life tomorrow that you need that verse that you overlooked yesterday. <clears throat> we don't want to take a passage and read into it something that it doesn't say. Here's another classic example for you, and then we're going to go into the part of this lesson. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So something falls apart in a person's life, they could be a complete unbeliever. But there are a lot of unbelievers who know this verse. And you got cancer or whatever happens in your life, and the next thing you know, somebody's coming up and saying, well, we know all things work together for good. No. Know what it means. You see, because there's a caveat in that verse and in the verse following. And the first thing is, verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God. So number one, I'm sorry that you're going through this, but if you have no love for God, these things are not going to work out for your good. God may be gracious because the rain shines on the just and on the unjust, 
but it may not be that he brings healing to you. This is why it's so important for us as believers when somebody comes up and says, hey, I've got such and such a surgery or I've been diagnosed with cancer, whatever it may be. What we should be saying is, as James said, may the Lord's will be done. The problem is that we are so attached to this life, we can't, we can't, possibly countenance the idea of dying and going to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ where there's no more sin and no more tears and no more sorrow and the streets are paved with gold. Oh, no, 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 no. We like being here in the nasty now and now because this is what pleases the flesh. And it's not just for those who love God, but for those who are called according to His purpose. How do we know that we love God? We keep his commandments. So if you've got somebody who's living a debauched lifestyle or a vulgar lifestyle or they can't manage to, oops, mind my French, or what they're watching, what they're listening to, how they're acting, how they're living, how they're treating their spouse, but they want to trot this verse out and say, well, everything works together for good to those who love God. Do you really love God? Do you love his commandments? Are you striving to live a life that is holy before him? Then I'm sorry, that verse doesn't apply to you. What a great opportunity. And then, then they may say something like this. Well, what verse does apply to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 36, that the wrath of God abides on those who don't believe. But Revelation chapter 22 says, Whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Come to Christ today, call on him for mercy, and he will be merciful to you a sinner. That's truth. Not agreeing with a person who quotes a verse out of context. Did you have something, Sam? Oh, I, thought you were, I thought I saw somebody raise their hand. So, having said that, my prayer is that this class and the next sections that we're going to cover will not only help us to break down a verse, but that we'll learn how to apply it. You see, you can break down all the passages, but there also must be application. You have to know not just what it says, but how does this apply to me today? I want you to turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, and again, we have used this, you have heard me, some of you have heard me use this illustration before, but if you go away on holiday, and you come back, and you've been down in Cancun, Mexico, and I tell you, when you walk in and you've got a nice deep tan, and I say, wow, that's a fake tan. You say, no, that's not a fake tan. I, no, I, I got that when I was down on vacation. So three weeks later, you've been in the Wyoming winters and it's been cold and we haven't seen the sun since sometime last year. And you come in and you're as pale as Pastor Mark. And I walk up to you and I say, see, I told you it was a fake tan wasn't a fake tan, it was because you're not as close to the sun anymore. 
And it's no different with the Word of God. The closer you get to this, the more time you spend with the Lord Jesus Christ and in His Word, you are going to find you get a spiritual tan. You will darken. You will deepen in your love for Him. So, you've got your computers there, and I want to break this down a little bit. And we're just going to go over just the intro, the preliminary, as we, as I try to wrap this up. The preparation of the heart, which we covered in the first lesson, is vital. The, these booklets that I'm handing out to you, I, I've covered the Lord's Supper, which we're actually going to be looking at uh, in, in, the, the, uh, in, in a sunny message here shortly. We're going to be looking at the importance of the ordinances, but I'm giving you these books because we're not going over these in depth. They're for your learning and your edification. But there are things as we go through, as we're looking at baptism, looking at the Lord's table, looking at church discipline, that we want to do these things biblically. The Spurgeon's Catechism, that is a great way to be able to teach your children, to teach your family, you as a spouse, to be able to learn together. One of the first ones, for example, has been a mainstay in our home. Somebody read what the first question is in that catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now think about your home, your work, your marriage, your whatever, and think about how you could apply that one question. What is my chief end? What is the chief end of my marriage? Is it to make me happy? Is it to get the things that I want out of marriage? No. What about in work? No. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That means that my work must glorify God. My marriage must be striving to glorify God. Whether the other partners does it or not is not the issue. Because your responsibility before God is not based on anybody else. It's based on your relationship with God. So you must be striving to glorify God in every aspect. So in Psalm 1, not only do we have the preparation of the heart here, but he actually is going to deal with this as we, as we break down this passage. And I want to show you, if you've got your, your computers up, for example, I'm going to show you a few things that you can actually see and learn from this scripture. And you can do this with just about any passage. Now, please, 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 don't come up to me on March the 2nd or March the 3rd or whatever that's the next, because this is leap year, right? So we got the 29th. So I think it's actually March the 2nd is the next class. Don't come up to me and say, you know what? I tried to apply it. It doesn't work. Because I'm going to ask you, where did you start? And you're going to say, well, I went to the book of First Chronicles. I can't even do it in First Chronicles. Okay? We're dealing with genealogies here. But we're talking about a general passage of Scripture or any passage, especially in the New Testament. You can do these things that I'm going to share with you for, or these things that I'm going to share with you. Number one, again, prepare your heart. If you go to the Scriptures with the intention of proving that pastor wrong, you've already gone with the wrong attitude. 
you have to go to the scripture saying, Lord, teach me, help me to know your word. That involves prayer. It involves planning. It, it, it involves petitioning God to, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, excuse me, through your Holy Spirit, may I understand your word. Now, the first part of that, though, says participation, doesn't it? Participation, this is what we're doing right here. We're participating. We are studying God's Word. We are learning these things and seeing what Scripture has to say. But again, it's not just here. You have to study. You have to participate. You have to plan. You have to be willing to say, Oh, man, here it is. It's March 1st, and he's going to ask me tomorrow at class whether I actually studied or not this last month. Now, I'm not going to find fault with you and I'm not going to jump all over you if you wait until March the 1st to try to do something. I'm just thankful that you did something at all. But the next month, your goal should be to do two days of study or three days of study or four. The longer you are away from the scriptures, the easier it is to stay away from it. And it's no different, and Dad has talked about this as well in his ministry down through the years. The, the, the more you stay away from church, the easier it is to stay away from church. You miss one Sunday? Well, that's not so bad. I mean, it's bad. You should be there. But you miss two Sundays. Well, the third Sunday comes along, and well, you know, we missed the last two Sundays. Didn't get a call. Didn't get a letter. Didn't get a text. No smoke signals from North Yellowstone. So, you know, maybe we should just... Go try another church. Preparing the heart to study means being willing to sit down and say, Lord, I'm going to be here for more than just 30 seconds or on my way out the door. The power of God, Romans 1.16 says, For it is the power of God unto salvation. There is nothing in the world that can save souls except the Word of God. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, He is the one that saves souls. Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There is no other book in the world. You can, you can reform your life, you can conform your life to different standards, but there's only one that can transform the life, and that's the Bible. The power of God, through the power of God, it requires us to have the right mind, it requires us to have the right focus and it requires us to have the right love. So just a couple of minutes, I want to point out some things that I think will help you. Psalm 1. Tell me what is the first thing, if you've got that pulled up, what's the first thing that you see about Psalm 1? Anybody? Is that something that because you're going to study differently than I am? I mean, the goal is to get everybody on the same page eventually, but what is something that you see about Psalm 1 as you're looking at that? There's a contrast. Okay, hold on. I meant to write this. I meant to write this down. <coughs> okay, so there's a contrast. What else? Somebody else? Separation. Separation of what? Good, well, the wicked and the righteous. Okay. So, good, 
and you're going to notice that some of these things are coming are, are going to be uh, duplicated in some way or another. What else? Some of you maybe who liked English when you were in high school or college, what do you see? Okay, Com commas. Commas are actually important. Okay. Okay, and so are periods. What do you see? What, what else do you see? There, there's, um, they're describing, so it's, there's an uh, adjective here, the joy of those <coughs> who do not follow. Okay, so a adjectives. Adjectives describe, okay? And we're going to look at that later, not today. What else? Okay, action words, that's actually going to be important because now, now we're petitioning God to help us to change whatever the action is, whatever it's calling us to do, right? Right. Okay, what else? What else do you see? There, 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 there's a couple of, to me, some obvious ones when I see it, when I study. Number one, there's six verses. Okay, so it's not big. Don't, don't go and expect to have Psalm 119 broken down by tomorrow. There's 176 verses. So it's bite size, right? So you can take six and you notice that there's six verses. What else? It's broken up into three basic segments. There we go. Three paragraphs. Okay, those three paragraphs are there for a reason. What else? The very first verse and the very last verse repeat or reflect um, the same idea. Okay, so same idea. Repeated three times, it's symbolism to the number three, right? So we, I, I want to be careful with with what is term, termed numerology, but but there are to the to the to the Jews or to the Hebrews, yes, three was very important. Um, it is also what we we refer to as a Trinity or a Triune God. Right. So three definitely is important, and we're going to see that as we break this passage down. But as we see in the first part and the last part, there is a reflection. So there's a duplicate. Uh, and even if the scriptures were to tell us to do something just one time, it would be more than enough. Sure. But the more, it's like in the New Testament, we find the words, verily, verily, I say unto you, or whoa, whoa. Right. There's a reason for those. Exactly. It's, it's going back to the first lesson that we had. Be a better listener, a more careful listener. What is it actually saying? For example, the word therefore or the word wherefore. See what it's there for. It's referring back to the previous verses. Okay? Sam? Uh, it's like imagery of water uh, stream and trees. Yep, imagery. I love the imagery. And in fact, Dad covered this very well in Psalm 23. I love the imagery in Psalm 23. It's one of the most descriptive passages to me in the scriptures. Yes, Brother Scott. One of the things, just in comment to the, the, the three, be careful if, it, if it's a triad, it will be listed as a triad because then that would be from the original language. Right. If we're looking for three in the English, it's not going to be there because it's not a... It's not a, a number for number. It doesn't work that way unless it's specifically stated that way or there's a definite three paragraphs or something like that right. to indicate that there is a triad. When we start looking for those numbers, we get numerology. Right. So, so here, here's an example. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the, whole, of the Holy God 
and we find that the cherubim or the seraphim who are there, they cry out what? Holy, 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 holy. That's in the Hebrew. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. So that is a triplicate that is there, and that's there for a very good reason. Okay? The other thing, too, is this is a, in mind, um, it gives me types of psalms, which isn't directly that, but it just helps me understand. This is a wisdom. Um, yeah, this is part of wisdom literature. Yeah. Which five books in the Old Testament are but the books of wisdom. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. There's a great deal of wisdom that is found there. So out of all of these things that we've got here, does anybody else have anything else they want to add? Now, it's taken a little bit, and if you were working on your own, you might not come up with some of these. But the way you're going to do that is you're going to start off on your computer, piece of paper, whatever it is, Take the section of scripture that you're actually going to study and first break it down like this. You want to know what's in that passage. You could also add something called context. Who's this written to? You then have principles. Principles are going to be found in that scripture or that passage. Do they apply to me? Are they written to Israel? Is there something that we find in the New Testament? And you're going to find as we break down Psalm 1 that every one of the principles that are found in Psalm 1 are duplicated in the New Testament. Every one of them. It's one of the reasons why I like breaking Psalm 1 down. So if you look at it, there's two different types of people here, right? So you've got the good versus the wicked. So if I was breaking this down and I was actually going to teach this to a class and I'm preparing for this, I'm going to start by breaking the section down into, the, firstly, those three paragraphs. So I'm going to come over here, for those of you who remember English, and I'm going to go one, two, three. This one is going to be verses one to two. This one's going to be verses three to four. And this one's going to be five to six. Now, you can actually present this in a teaching manner in more than one way. You don't have to do it just in these paragraphs. For example, I believe that there is a triplicate, for example, and we're going to use this as our last example today. But I want you to look at verse 1. And there is a triplicate here. And it's not the importance of the triplicate. The importance is what it actually is showing and portraying to us. So I've got, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave these, does anybody else need this or want this up? No? Okay. So I'm considering all of these things here. If you could send me a copy of that picture that you took of that board, please. Okay. First verse. I want to break this down. And the first thing I want to do is I'm going to study what it means to be blessed. And the word essentially, in a nutshell, if you were to sum it up in one word, means happy. It means much, much, much more than that. That's where you're going to use Blue Letter Bible, or you're going to use whatever app you've got, and you're going to pull it up, and you're going to tap on the word blessed and see exactly what it means in that particular passage of Scripture. But here's the triplicate that I want you to see. I'm reading this, blessed is the man. Now we could stop right there. But we say, why is this man blessed? There's 
three reasons why he's not blessed or why he is blessed. Either way, because you're going to find it in this passage. What's the first one? He doesn't walk in the council. So I'm going to say point number one, walks not. Number two, what's the second one? He stands not. And we can break these down further. What's number three? Sits. Sits not. What's the progression here? Think about your life or the life of your children. Who are you hanging out with? Evil communications corrupt good manners, right? So if we're walking through this passage and we say, wait a minute, the person who gets to the sits had to have stood. And the person who stands had to have walked there. Let me give you a classic point. You may be, as you're studying this, you're looking at the passage, you're thinking, wait a minute. Walk, stand, sits. Oh, I remember from Scripture where we saw that. It was Lot. Because Lot in the Old Testament didn't start out in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He started out on the plains. But he began walking with the people. By the end of the story, we find that not only is he living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me, tell you, let me point this out to you because some of you maybe have never seen this. But not only is he there, but it tells us that he is actually one of the ruling elders in Sodom and Gomorrah. And not only that, but he actually has multiple sons and daughters who are married who also get burned up in the conflagration. Because it says he has multiple children. He tries to give his own daughters for the sexual perversion of the men in the city to be able to save the angels that come. And he goes out and he talks to his, and this is where it's so bad, you've given your own daughters in marriage, and it says he goes outside of the house and he talks to his son-in-laws who are there at the door waiting to assault and molest the two men. Not only have you given your daughters to the wrong men, but these men are actually crossing the street sexually. Can you imagine the depth of that perversion? And Lot is looking at his sons, son-in-laws directly in their eyes. God's going to destroy this city and it says they mock him. You know why? He didn't have a testimony anymore. He lost his testimony. He wasn't a happy man. He wasn't a blessed man because he has failed Psalm 1. So you could, you could stay right here because then we look at it and he says, walks not in what? The counsel of the wicked. So how am I going to break this down? I'm going to look up on my blue letter Bible and I'm going to break this down. What does it mean to walk not? So you look up the word for walk. This is how you break it down. That very first verse, you're going to look up several words. You're going to look up walk, so you could go letter A, B, C, or D. Okay? So, what does walk mean? What does counsel mean? What does ungodly mean? And I'm not going to break each of these down for you because I want you to do it. Or walk's not in the counsel of the wicked. Sorry, I put the wrong one up there. What does the wicked mean? Okay, And this is all going to fall under point number one, walks not. And then number two, stands not. So we're going to come down here and we're going to do the same thing. So break it down for me, somebody. 
walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or of the wicked, nor stands. So I want to know what the word stands means. In the way or path of sinners. By the way, I'll tell you this. These words are not, are not synonymous in that they mean the same thing. Wicked sinners and ungodly. They're actually, there's a level here that is found in these words. Okay? So then we come, we're going to break this one here down. Three. Break this one down for me, somebody. Who sits. We want to know what this word means. Sits. Seat. Seat. Scornful. Now I will give you a clue on this last one. Look at the, at, at the C here. So this is the first one. The wicked person. This is the person who are sinners. This is the person who is undeserving and is going to grant give judgment. The scornful. This is the person who has gotten to the end of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Hold on. And the scornful are those who have openly mocked the word of God as being irrelevant. It's the, it's the thing you started out with an hour ago. Moral, yep. Moral, Absolutely. That's the three standards that we've got here. We've got morality, immorality, and amorality. And that's just in verse 1. So now this blessed man, you could use it both the negative and the positive. Blessed is the man, take out the word not and read it this way as well. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the, what's the opposite of wicked? Of the godly. Isn't that what we're called to as believers, is to walk in the path with other believers? Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the godly, who stands in the way of other believers, and who sits in the seat of the people of God. You see the comparison? Now we've got a contrast. We've got the unbeliever and the believer. The next two verses are actually going to describe exactly what David is writing here where he says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does is prosper. There's another triplicate. This is why when you study these things, it's like, Wow! You may have just read that and everybody knows or some people have memorized Psalm 1. It's like, oh my goodness, there's just so much there. I think Dad's messages on Psalm 23 were what, six weeks? At least. For six verses. And he didn't even cover it all. Uh, Scott? This is, this is fun. Um, you're dealing with the Beatitudes. Yes. Which is which is Christ's implement of this, correct? Yep. Well, the song that we're doing tomorrow... I noticed that. <laughs> is, this is the comparison of David to Christ. Yeah. It's that he's a better. Um, this, this just is, this is fantastic. You've got, you've got David here t saying what Christ is fulfilling, but Christ is expanding yep. beyond just our actions because in the Beatitudes, what we're learning on, on through your uh, teaching on that side is our not only our actions, but it's our thoughts and our deeds. Here, it's here, it's all external. Not that these are bad things, but your talk when Christ comes, he like he expounds on that. It's 
So not only what we're supposed to be doing, but how we're supposed to be thinking. Yep. I think it was a man, it was either Australia or New Zealand, not too, not too many years ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago, uh, there, there was a big... Uh, there was a big kerfuffle uh, uh, in one of the national banks over there and um, somebody had stolen a very large sum of money. It was like a million something in their money. And um, they came in and they realized pretty quickly that it had to have been somebody with insider knowledge. And come to find out it was actually one of the bank tellers had been working there for 20 something years. And they said why did you do it? He said, because for every day that I've come to work, I've wondered what it would be like and what it would take to be able to rob a bank and think I could get away with it. And he got caught within just a matter of hours. And if we're not careful, that's the way we're going to be when it comes to the Word of God. You and I are going to get caught in something if we're not careful, if we're not spending time thinking on the right things and then using that thought process to be able to put it into action. The whole uh, progression, progression from point A to the end of, uh, end of verse 3. Uh, it's a step-by-step -step progress from doing little bits to going all the way Yep. And, and that progression continues because when he gets down to the part, for example, he's like a tree. The tree is planted. And then it yields its fruit. And then its leaf doesn't wither. In other words, it's never ending. We're talking about everlasting life. There's another progression there. But then when he gets to the end, the wicked are not so. They're not like what? There's a, almost a therefore there. Uh, what, what, what are the wicked like? They are not like these other people who are planted by the rivers of water. They are like chaff. Well, what is the chaff? What does that mean? It's referring to wheat. And the wind just drives it away. It's gone. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand. Again, what is he referring to? He goes back to that previous paragraph. He's referring to the tree that is planted by the rivers of water, the tree that has actually got its roots deep in the ground. It's not going to move. But the wicked isn't like that. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, and this is where, as, as Mason pointed out, right at the very end you find the progression continues from blessed is a man who doesn't do these things, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly will perish. There is so much here. And, and even if you want to take Psalm 1 and break it down, take time to break it down. You may have to revise. That's why I recommend doing it on a computer because it's like, oh, there's another aspect. Oh, now I've got to do a, a flow chart and a diagram and, and move this over here. And, and, and then when you're all done, it's like, Lord, am I like the blessed man or am I like the ungodly? That's where the application comes in. Lord, help me as I prepare and plan and petition. I'm petitioning you, Lord, help me to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Help me to be like the redwood forest that, that, that those trees need so much water and the mist that comes over them every single morning from the Pacific Ocean and it, they just suck up tons of water.
every single day. Lord, help me to be like that, that I just can't get enough of your word. Amen. Any questions? And we are going to actually look at that list lesson. I encourage you to bring that back with you. The path of the righteous and the progression of the wicked. We are actually going to look at that in our next time of study. Any questions? Well, it's still snowing. Be careful. And uh, we will look forward to it. Yes? Do you have a, the sheet where Calvin's what we're supposed to be doing for next week? Yes, right here. For next month. Yep. I'm so eager. I know. Let's pray while he. Oh, yes. Sam. So it actually is used in other books. Uh, to the streams of water, you mean? Yeah. Yep. You also find it in the book of Isaiah. Um. But if you, that's where you would do a word search for streams and streams of water. How does it apply? Find out the other passages. If you look on um, uh, in the lexicon part of it or Thayer's lexicon where it breaks it down to how many usages or how it's used, that'd be a great study to be able to figure, figure that out because he does, does talk about streams um, and the streams are similar as what, as what we find in um, uh in, in um, the end of Isaiah. I think it's 61 or 62. Yep. But take take a look and write it down. There is streams. We've got to be careful with the transition though from, from the Greek or from the Hebrew to the Greek because they're not the same words but there is an application that would be found there. Um, again, because he's referring to everlasting life, I, I could probably make that connection just off the top of my head. Um, I would say that yes, that there is a reference or there is a direct correlation there, definitely. Can I ask a request? Since we are doing these in three ring notebooks, can we have these hole punched? Uh, which one? Oh, these here? All of these that we're, that we're yes. doing so we can put them in there. Yep. Nice. Yep. And I've got a hole punch upstairs. Um, so if you bring your book tomorrow, you can do it today. You, you're welcome to use it, but I'll try to remember to have them all hole punched. I have all the doctrinal class ones done. I just forgot about doing these ones. Yes? On, on number D, it says to purchase each book, but are you referring to the ones that you already provided for us? No. What, what, what? No. Uh, those, those are, I, I, that, that's just an extra one that I'm going to be recommending here in the near future. Right now, you're, there's nothing to purchase. Okay. Yep. Thank you, Lord, for the day, for the time spent studying your word. The more I study, the more I want to study, and the more I love what I read. And while it's not always easy to accept the things that are found in your word, the Bible is clear that the commands of God are not grievous. They're not cumbersome. Help us to learn, to grow, to be like the blessed man with roots that are longing for the water of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the day. Give everyone safety home. And again, may your will be done in our lives as we prepare for worship tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.